the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. Bill, welcome back. Hope you had a good day off. Did you catch up on any movies or any? uh, any, Okay. Killing that. I bring important news. I bring great news. And I bring breaking news. If you are interested in the recall of the governor of California and whether Larry Elder would actually qualify for the ballot or not, because he had to go to court to get his name on the ballot because the Democratic Secretary of State did not allow him to be on the ballot. He went to court. He won. Larry Elder will be on the ballot in California to run as uh, to run for governor in the replacement and recall of Gavin Newsom. He tweeted out today, my next victory will be on September 14th at the ballot box. Exactly right. Well done. I have to admit I was a little nervous about this whenever you um, have to go to court to get on a ballot or to win an election issue. It um, it can it can be a very, a very <laughs> worrisome proposition, 50-50 and usually not in favor of the Republican. But the law was so clear here and the violation so stark. And perhaps the Democrats didn't want to hand the Republicans the first actual national example of black voter suppression being the Democrats keeping a black candidate off the off the um, off the ballot in California. But that was the effort. Make no mistake, that was the effort. There's another side to this, which is uh, important and tells you what Larry is up against, what we are up against. The L.A. Times, it is the most important. It is the biggest newspaper in the state of California. It's probably one. Yes, it is one of the top five. It is rated as one of the top five circulated newspapers in the country. It is to California, much like Arizona Republic is to Arizona. It is the state organ. It is the state paper. It's nearly. Yes, there's the Sacramento Bee and yes, Oak CR and all that regionally. Yes, of course. But as a statewide newspaper, the L.A. Times has established itself as that, or at least the people of California have. Guess what? You go to their website to understand what's going on on, um, on the Larry Elder race and recall. You will not find anything on that page. Not a word about it. Not a word. Not a word. I guarantee you, I guarantee you if a if a, a black man or woman or any person of color uh, by um, or national origin, different national origin, if this was done to them and they were a Democrat, I am guaranteeing you this would not just be on the front page of the L.A. Times. It would be on the front page of the New York Times and the Washington Post and President Biden would give a speech on it and Kamala Harris would go to California talking about how this is not her California, this is not her America. I guarantee you. That would be the case. I think Larry is right, though, in the long run, that they are afraid of him. I would be if I were running against him. Again, listen to articulate and uh, 
uncontrovertible Larry is. He has never said something he has had to retract. And though the L.A. Times did take a hit on him, did put a hit on him last Friday, it was humorous. Dennis Prager covered it well. I did my own research on it. I beg of you, always do your own research. Dennis um, was talking about an L.A. Times article about how Larry Elder distorted crime statistics. And then bless the L.A. Times, bless them, they put a hyperlink to it so you could see for yourself to prove it. Guess where the hyperlink took you? To Larry Elder's original Facebook post with no contravention, with no countermand, with no correction, with no fact check. All it did was take you to what Larry Elder said. That is not proof of distortion. That is reiteration of Larry Elder's original point. They were not able to prove that Larry Elder distorted crime statistics. He doesn't. He lives with them. He lives in them. This is part and parcel of why the left and the Democratic Party is afraid of Larry Elder. Can you imagine replacing the Democratic dream of Gavin Newsom with the conservative dream of Larry Elder at the snap of a finger is almost like an acute tumor growing overnight is how the Democrats would view it. But notice this is also, don't mean to overuse the phrase, I was going to say part and parcel, I'll just not to do that, say this is also concomitantly tied to how the Democrats are now playing the game nationally. And it's going to require all of our antennas to see what is to figure out what is going on here. You know you're winning. You know you're winning with the American people. And you know your side is right when the Democrats or the left or let's just say your opponent denies doing what you accuse them of. If I'm accused of something and I'm wrong... I will uh, ideally either try and defend it, right, or, or explain why I wasn't wrong, or apologize, be ashamed, correct myself, beg forgiveness. Um, the world is too documented to be able to get away with a denial if you're a conservative. But it's not so documented to get away with denials if you're Democrats. So one way you know you're winning is when the Democrats deny what you accuse them of, even though it is taking place almost by leisure domain. Listen to what I'm saying, not what I'm doing, they tell us. So you have General Mark Milley today saying that there is no CRT critical race theory going on in the military. He wouldn't have to deny it after three weeks ago approving of it if he didn't think it was defensible, right? You don't deny what you can defend. Same damned thing with this Texas legislature stunt and the lack of media drilling down on the irresponsibility of it on everything they told us was important. Green, energy, environment, carbon, not a comment about the two private jets which were taken to Washington, D.C. for this stunt when it seems like Southwest or American would have done just fine with 600% times less the carbon footprint. No comment on that. No comment on the fact that all of them were maskless, every single one of them. Do you know why they were maskless? Because they were proud to smile and strut. The Democrats were strutting with those smiles on those private planes with no qualms of remorse, boxes of beer to be seen in the photo, perfectly fine, maskless while they enforce mask mandates on every other commercial flyer. No one in the media called them to account on that. 
although we saw it with our own two eyes, because you know the media is now ashamed of it, just as they are ashamed of the Democratic behavior with Kamala Harris standing up and applauding the Texas legislatures, legislators when they went to Washington, D.C. to meet with her. If someone applauded the rioters on January 6th, after all, they were disrupting democracy, don't you know? That person being applauding them would have been recalled by now, if not fired or held up to the most massive forms of public censure and ridicule you can find. In fact, probably subject, if they were an elected official to the House or Senate, to censure, if not impeachment. Then we have exactly the fallout from that event Kamala Harris was clapping at. Did I not tie that loose end up? I meant to. The Texas legislators are also stopping, hampering, preventing, disrupting democracy. They have a job to do that they're, um, that, they're, that the elected people of Texas gave them to do. And as a minority, they have a responsibility to be the minority actors in the state legislature of Texas and to work with the majority because in Republican forms of, democr- of democracy, you have majority rule and they are not allowing the majority to rule. That's a thwarting, if not that's a thwarting, if not cessation, of democracy in Texas. Kamala Harris stood up and applauded them, wanted to make that tie there. Then what happened from that event in Washington, D.C. with Kamala Harris? Six people got COVID. Six fully vaccinated people got COVID. And mysteriously, Kamala Harris went to the hospital on Sunday for just a routine appointment. You tell me how many routine appointments take place on Sunday with no further investigation or comment on it by the media the way they commented on when Donald Trump went to the hospital for uh, uh, for COVID. Now, Kamala Harris ended up not having COVID. Fine. We still don't know why she went to the hospital on a Sunday, though. That would be something the media would very much be interested in if it were Dick Cheney or Mike Pence. But nonetheless, the thing the media is not saying about that meeting with Kamala Harris, even though she she went to the hospital and the chief spokesman for Nancy Pelosi went to the hospital with COVID and six other people got COVID, not a super spreader. They called every Trump, every Republican event that was held indoors or out a super spreader pre-vaccine. Pre-vaccine, they're telling us we need to be vaccinated. And Nancy Pelosi said, yes, masks are still to be worn on the in the in the in the House of Representatives yesterday while not wearing a mask herself. You know, you have them on their heels when they're in a state of denial and memory holes. I haven't even gotten to what Anthony Fauci said yesterday, but we covered a lot of that yesterday and we'll return to it a little bit today. But if he was perfectly fine with what his government funded, he wouldn't engage in invective against Rand Paul while not disabusing the country and Rand Paul of the allegations. He didn't. You know what I say? What they said about Nixon. Guilty, guilty, guilty. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Here's another example of the Democrats um, trying to bury memory hole or engage in quiet acquiescence to the conservative criticism. 
Here's a headline from Fox News. Biden administration walks back ties to group pushing critical race theory in schools. The Department of Education says, quote, it was an error. It was an error to include a citation to the Abolitionist Teaching Network's Guide for Racial Justice and Abolitionist Social and Emotional Learning in its handbook intended as a roadmap for schools to reopen safely during the coronavirus pandemic. Why the Department of Education thinks it can engage in promotion of curriculum that includes such books as Racial Justice and Abolitionist Social and Emotional Learning is itself very interesting, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Um, You would think that before the Department of Education, in a highly charged atmosphere of issues having to do with Black Lives Matter, to critical race theory to 1619, to you name it, to everything that's been debated in this country for the better part of a year and a half. You would think that if someone at the Department of Education, a department I know pretty well, said, oh, use this. Who's this? Oh, it's the Abolitionist Teaching Network. Wait, abolitionist? That's like John Brown Violet stuff, right? We weren't abolitionists in this country, right? That was the unconstitutional thing to be, right? The abolitionists didn't like Lincoln because he wanted to work within the Constitution. Anyone with a semblance of American history in their background, as it was taught up until 20 years ago, would have known to say stop at the first word of this organization, Abolitionist Teaching Network. But then when you stumble onto their guide, assuming you're, a histori- you're historically illiterate, um, which I have to assume now at the Department of Education, you get the guide that this organization puts out, Guide for Racial Justice and Abolitionist Social and Emotional Learning. Mightn't you want to maybe look at it or look into who's the head of that organization? Wouldn't you just think in this highly charged atmosphere, the smart thing is to even just maybe read page one of the Abolitionist Teaching Network's website? For when you do, you get an awful lot. First of all, you get a companion guide to the founder, Bettina Love's works, that um, a companion guide for further reading to understand her better. Surprise, surprise, I went through that, and um, the second item on that list is a book called A Marxist Education, Learning to Change the World. Not a very old book, only about two weeks old, uh, two years old. The guide itself is pretty much a very interesting piece of work. The guide itself should have had you stopping everything. I mean everything. And if not that, maybe maybe this from Bettina Love, the founder of the Abolitionist Teaching Network. She writes, no matter where I go when I ask future teachers why they want to teach, especially white women who make up the vast majority of all teachers, their first or second answer is always, I love children, followed by, I love all children. The word all is meant to signal I'm not a racist. I'm fit to be in the classroom with children of color. The statement is used to show that white teachers can be kind to every black and brown child that walks through their classroom doors. 
but how can you love or care for someone you know so little about? And then she talks about how in her own experience with white teachers, quote, my K-12 schooling was filled with white teachers who at their core were good people, but unknowingly were murdering my spirit with their lack of knowledge, care, love of my culture. Murdering her spirit. This is uh, the person who the White House put on uh, curriculum advi- uh, as, as, ad- as advisory curriculum for students across the country. Someone who says white teachers can't teach black children. Nothing about black teachers teaching white children. But I was very curious about this notion because, you know, I still think and I'm still of the belief that we've unlearned an awful lot in this country. We've unlearned a lot of things we used to know. And one of the things we used to know is that a good teacher matters and its race didn't. That teacher's race didn't, just as a good student matters and its race didn't. That was the whole point, after all, of something students used to learn called Brown versus Board of Education, seemingly one of the most important Supreme Court cases in history, maybe top five, at least if you listen to the modern textbook, not the modern, the pre-postmodern American history and American legal history textbook writers, Brown versus Board of Education. If people know of any cases in American Supreme Court jurisprudence who didn't go to law school, they probably know of at least one of four and can probably get you a sentence on them. Brown versus Board of Education would certainly be one, of course, Roe versus Wade. I'd like to think Plessy versus Ferguson and Dred Scott. Probably Dred Scott, Brown, and Roe are the three most or used to be the three most known Supreme Court cases. In any event, it made me think just a moment about this notion that white teachers murder black people's spirits. I'm glad the Department of Education rescinded it. They should have never played footsie with it in the first place. But I was thinking about great and important black Americans that have helped shape our country and our culture and have succeeded on their own right, in their own right. And did they have black teachers? And I was just thinking about, well, let's start with the most obvious, the case of Ruby Bridges. These were all white teachers. But then I thought, let's get a little more intellectual. Who is the greatest or among the greatest black intellectuals that the left esteems these days and really throughout the post-World War II history? And there would be one name and one name really that dominates, and that's James Baldwin. He's, of course, the man who famously debated William Buckley at Cambridge. And you know who he credits giving him his career to as a student in school in uh, New York? A white teacher. A white teacher. Your race... And the dint, and by the accident and dint of your race does not make you a murderer. And the Department of Education, I'm glad they canceled it. I'm glad they're memory holding it. They should have never played footsie like this in the first place. But that's what they do, and it gets them in trouble. And it's why I think we are winning when they quietly try to rescind memory hole, bury, and lie about what we charge them with. If they were proud of it, they wouldn't rescind it and lie about it. They'd try and defend it. But to try and defend that is to defend the indefensible.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. He's also a radio host as well. He's heard here every Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. with the Word on Wealth Show. What is the good word on wealth today, John? Hey, how's it going, I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Markets rebounded a little bit more today, uh, again, uh, after Monday's... uh Pretty sharp decline. Uh, again, pushing uh, tech. Tech really took off today again as well. The Nasdaq uh, did well, but the Dow and the S and P and the Nasdaq have all recovered all of the losses that they suffered on Monday, which Good. is Good. pretty pretty quick recovery here. Good. What else are you tracking today? Well, you know, one of the things that people do is they contribute to their four hundred one ks out there, Seth, and yep. there are a variety of different providers for four hundred one ks. Many people know Fidelity. They may know uh, Schwab, they, you know, Prudential. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, something came across my desk here. It's a company called Empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, Empower. And it's a company that does um, allow uh, employers to use their services to um, handle the funds in the custody of their 401K proceeds. And Prudential is selling their business to empower. So for those people out there who participate in a 401k and that 401k provider might be Prudential, they may start to get notifications here shortly once all of the approval goes through on this um, sale that Empower would be the new provider for those benefits. Well, it's going to be a problem because the ads won't be as cool as get a piece of the rock. (laughs) Get a piece of what what does Empower get you? Do you remember the get a piece of that? had to have been one of the more successful slogans because I haven't thought of Prudential in years, but the first thing I thought of was their commercial. Yeah, that's very true. Some, you know, there's an iconic commercial that yeah. they had. One of the other, uh, you know, they they have been selling uh, off pieces of Prudential over time as well as some of the other big financial uh, institutions have done. Of course, Prudential, we think of them also for life insurance. They right. have another right. another arm of their business. So um, they're not going anywhere, but uh, certainly selling off the. Um, advisory business that they have. And this is a pretty common thing in our industry, Seth. We're seeing a lot of consolidation. We've seen it in a lot of different industries across the country and across the world when it comes to big tech, uh, as well as uh, when we even see uh, smaller companies out there. How do you grow your business? There's a variety of ways. One of the ways is to acquire other companies, and that's what we're seeing happen here. John, I get feedback, obviously, as, as I'm sure you do, um, from your appearances here. One of the nice things, um, several nice things I get comments on, one of the nice things that I'm glad people are cottoning to, gelling to, they say they really enjoy when we when you explain something that people just don't have a good comprehension of because there's a lot of terminology and market talk, econ talk, the kind of stuff you, uh, you, 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 you are involved in. And I saw a headline. It just dawned on me. So every once in a while, I like to think about what one of those things might be for our audience. I just saw a headline today in the Wall Street Journal about hedge funds. And it dawns on me, you know, that's also something that's cropped up in the past couple of decades. But a lot of people may not know what hedge funds are. Can you give... I, didn't rehearse this with yeah. you. If you'd like to defer, go right ahead. But I, no, I presume no, no, you're no. able to give us a definition. Well, there are there are two sides of a trade. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the stock market, right? There's those out there who are buying, those who are selling. And if you own the individual shares of something, that's a very easy thing to understand. I own something. I own shares of whatever right. it's going to be. The stock. 
and I want to sell it, and there's a buyer out there that's willing to buy it for a certain price. Right. Very simple. Now, hedging, even just the term itself, where you're trying to maybe hedge your bet, you've heard, we all have heard of that hedging. And a lot of times these uh, types of transactions will um, include something called options, where you're buying uh, some type of protection on your uh, investments. And so these hedge fund managers, what they're doing, they're taking a little bit more risk out there, believe it or not. And they may have uh, scenarios where when the markets uh, react a certain way, where they could they could take a pretty big hit on their um, portfolios because of how they trade and the positions that they do hold or maybe don't even hold, but they're in the position of trading them. So we can get into some more of this conversation, Seth, if you like. uh, Yeah, no, that's good, though. That's good, and I like the idea of people hedging there, but that makes it all very comprehensible. That makes it it understandable. But there's there's additional risk associated with that. Let's talk about it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, Manana. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Securities John. and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finra Shipping and an investment advisor, Grant Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Nicely Thank done, you. John Dabrowski. God bless you. Thank you. I'm at 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Today is uh, officially declared Eric Clapton Day at the Seth Liebson Show. No, it's not his birthday. That was in March. It is declared Eric Clapton Day because he is, of course, a great musician. But let me just read you this headline from the Rolling Stone. Whenever I declare a day on the fly like that, it drives my producer Bill crazy because that means I'm going to ask for all his music for the rest of the show and uh, we already were pretty stocked with audio but um, no worries Uh, if anyone can do it Bill would do it I never give Bill a challenge he can't do just as God never gives any of us a challenge we can't handle Bill you need to remember that I will never give you a challenge you can't handle here's the headline from the Rolling Stone Eric Clapton will not play shows where proof of vaccine is required. You you okay now? Now now are we going to you you good with it now, Bill? Eric Clapton said he will not perform at any venues that require attendees to prove that they've been vaccinated against COVID-19. Clapton issued a statement in response to Prime Minister Boris Johnson's announcement on Monday, July 19th. That vaccine passes would be required to enter nightclubs and venues. Clapton's statement was shared uh, was shared via the Telegram account of film producer and architect, blah, 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 blah. Good for him. Good for Eric Clapton. You know, it would be great if other musicians and artists who have lectured Americans, who have lectured Americans over the years about First Amendment and artist freedom, artistic freedom, First Amendment, art for art's sake, it would be nice if they too didn't – it would be nice if they too stood with Eric Clapton and maintained their sensibilities about what they claim is their freedom of expression and their audience's freedom of expression on on, 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 on whose benefit they work, for whose benefit and on whose behalf they perform. It would be just wonderful. Do I expect it? No. 
But I'm glad Eric Clapton led the way. Eric Clapton leads the way in. Are, are there greater? Is there a greater living rock and roll guitar player? Is there a greater living rock and roll guitar player than Eric Clapton? And I don't mean technically. I don't, you know, I, I know people will call in with Ingve Malmsteens and stuff like that. But box office, respect, credit. Is there, I mean, is, the, is, is there a bigger and, and, and more important musician, guitar player alive? Alive. I don't know that there is. Uh, I, I'd, I'd be interested in any candidates you, you in the audience want to proffer. But not the major issue right now. Um, that's not the major issue. The major issue is that there are a few people of courage willing to stand up, like Larry Elder in California. If you missed the news, he will be on the ballot. He won his his injunction against the California Secretary of State. It's important, though, for us to say he should not have had to have gone through this for 48 hours. Uh, justice delayed is justice denied, Martin Luther King said, and that comment was repeated any number of times by Barack Obama, Joe Biden. Democrats love that line. Justice delayed is justice denied. I think it's an important line, too. I like it as well. Um, but justice was delayed for Four days, five days for Larry Elder. That's five days of people not engaging in vaccine hesitancy but supporting Larry hesitancy. When you have the risk of him not being on the ballot, you don't donate to his campaign. You wait and see. You think maybe that 100 bucks or 5 bucks, whatever your donation is to his campaign, maybe maybe that should wait because it'll go for naught. Um, five days. In a very compressed and shortened campaign, five days isn't a week. It's the equivalent of something like three months. This isn't elder abuse. This is black voter suppression. Black voter suppression, which I gather is the only reason the courts in California vindicated Larry. I don't think the Democrats want to have a national example the first national example of an actual African-American denied the right to vote for the person they want or vote, be a Republican conservative. Larry is going to be his own California earthquake for the rest of the country. I am now convinced, as I was when he announced his candidacy and was worried over the last few days, but I am now convinced again Larry not only can win, but Larry will win. And when Larry does win, California will begin not only to be healed, but the rest of the nation as well. A candidacy of Larry Elders that is successful is a national candidacy and a potentially president and a potential presidential or vice presidential candidacy. I will tell you if the if the if the if the nominees if the presidential ticket for our side in um, in the in the in the next presidential election in 2024 is DeSantis Elder. Or vice versa, we have Florida, we have California, we have uh, we have we have Larry Elder on the ticket. That's a it's a hugely winning ticket, and it will reaffirm what I have been worried about and have expressed on air, which is whether the common sense of the American people is still there to be appealed to. You know, you watch as I have been saying, you watch these old uh, campaign announcements of Ronald Reagan's. 76, 79, and you see that's exactly what his success was. 
um, an appeal to the common sense of the American people who were so used to decline and failure and the notion that the presidency was too big a job for one man. And he showed them that a dose of common sense is worth more. One, one spoonful of common sense is worth more than a hundred editorials. Um, but in thinking about that, I was thinking about the leftist and liberal complaint against Ronald Reagan back when Ronald Reagan was running for president. Because what the Democrats are doing to us now, I'll get to the January 6th Commission and Nancy Pelosi in a minute. That's part of what they are trying to do to us now. But what the Democrats are doing to us now is no different than what they tried to do to Ronald Reagan. The only, the only difference is they now have a bigger army. They have an army backing them that includes all of Hollywood didn't when Ronald Reagan was president. They have an army backing them that includes all of the major newspapers in this country, which wasn't true when Ronald Reagan was president. They have all of the universities, which wasn't true, absent Hillsdale, which wasn't true when Ronald Reagan was president. They have a lot more on their side to do this with, a lot more, and thus they are, including with social media, being much more successful. But I'll tell you what the left thinks of Ronald Reagan when they're being honest. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Well, you ask a trivia question on something having to do with rock music, and you know you have a sense of who's people who might come in to – uh, counter, counter, or argue with you, and that's fine. Uh, Rob, and surprise, hi, Rob. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, Seth. I just got back from Aho. My uh, my electrician finally showed up and fixed all the electrical stuff. Lovely, 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 lovely. Tell me, tell me, tell me about what's up. Well, um, number one, uh, listening to your monologue, loved it, and I especially love the fact that Larry won his court case. Um, I think that's wonderful, and again, it exposes. Uh, the Democrat for, uh, well, any Democrat in office as, uh, you know, if they didn't have double standards, they'd have no standards at all, as we all know. Um, the second thing, of course, guitarist, greatest living guitarist. Yeah, 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 yeah. How far okay. off am I by putting him up there? No, I, I, I think uh, I think Eric's great. I also like Alex Lifeson from Rush. Yeah, but, he uh, always gets a lot of votes. Keith Richards, yeah, is he that I, good? He, he really is, and what's interesting about Keith is that he took off his sixth string, and he's always played with a five-string guitar. Didn't know, did not know that. Great. Well, that's that's why I'm here. Yes, I know, I know right. Well, we You're like BASF. You make things better. I try to. Um, Brian May from Queen. He's still alive, and I thought he did good while he was with Queen. Okay. Um, he, but it's not he, a stretch. I can get away with saying Eric Clapton is perhaps one of the top or greatest living guitar players in rock and roll. Absolutely. Good. Now, we also have, you know, Pete Townshend from The Who. Yeah, that, that um, always gets a listing, yeah. Yeah, we also have Carlos Santana. Might be interesting who, uh, to narrow it down, active guitars. Is Pete still active? active? I don't know if Pete's still active. Something tells me um, he's not. He, he may or may not. Yeah, you I don't hear much out of him. He still has a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, personally, I personally like Jeff Beck. Um, he was obviously, uh, well, he stood the test of time, and of course, he was one of the original 
guys and the Yardbirds, along with Mr. Clapton. That's right. And, uh, and um, oh, who's that guitarist in Led Zeppelin? Um, Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page, of course, who's another one. Yeah. So I think, I think those guys, and again, everybody's going to have probably their own. I, I forget Jimmy Page is still alive. That's my bad. Yeah. yeah. I forget but that. I mean, yeah, in his day, it was great. You know, some people like Flash from Guns N' Roses. Yeah, that's a good um, point, too. All right, some people, I'll temper it, but yeah. uh, Eric Eric Clapton's up there, and he deserves just a lot of honorable mention today. Stand, fight, pushing back is hard against the culture that uh, pushes him. And, of course, uh, my friend Thano, Steve Vai. Rob, would you go with Steve Vai? Steve Vai is up there, too. If Thano tells me he's good, he's good. I feel like Muhammad Ali when Thano talks to me. I don't know what the word means, but if it's good, I'm it. Thank you, Thano Sanas. Bless you, sir. I'm Seth Leibson. We've got a lot coming up. We'll be right back.